You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, where you will meet entrepreneurs, cultivators, inventors, creators, and leaders in the cannabis industry. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, publicist and marketer in the cannabis industry. Today, we dig into the science behind cannabinoid treatment for the elderly with Dr. Swazi Barnasi. She's an integrative health and medical cannabis pharmacist and the co-founder of the CBD company, Element Apothic. She has spent significant time educating providers and physicians, speaking at events such as the Cannabis Science Conference, to lecturing at pharmacy schools and medical schools, working with organizations like the American Psychiatry Association and National Kidney Foundation. Let's meet Dr. Swathi. So really nice to meet you. I've, I've actually, um, you know, seen you for a long time and really excited to, to talk to you and get all this. In. Oh, great. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Um, yeah, great. So I guess if we could just start with um, an overview of who you are and uh, Element Apothic. And um, also, I thought it was interesting, your title of integrative health and medical cannabis and how that works into your philosophy and, and your work and services and product. Absolutely. Yeah. So I can start with me and then that kind of naturally transitions into element apothic. So um, I'm an integrative health pharmacist. And so from a very young age, being surrounded by Ayurvedic remedies at home, we use those just as often as we used Aleve and, you know, other more conventional options. And so to me, I always viewed integrative health, healing and wellness, even before I, I knew it was called that I always viewed health as this interplay and intersection of all these different possibilities and looking at, you know, what's been used from an ancient modality standpoint, but also what is being used in modern medicine. So like, I always thought it was really just a combination of everything. So looking at that, looking at it from that frame of reference, I thought going to pharmacy school was going to be really a, a broad overview of all these different modalities. Of course, talking about the conventional prescription and you know, um, over-the-counter options, but also looking at the other kind of natural remedies. But um, once I got to pharmacy school, I realized it was really only one side of the equation. And so I was on like a pursuit really to find um, a mentor who really bridged both sides. And I knew at that point that there had to be someone out there. So I, I went looking for someone and I found an incredible mentor, Dr. Pam Tarlow, who was out in LA at the time I was going to school in South Carolina. And previous to that, I lived in the Midwest and I also lived and grew up in the Northeast. So I had kind of been all over the US and never thought I would move to the West Coast, but found the right mentor. And even within a few days of working with her as a student was like, this is absolutely what I wanna do. This is someone who really believes and understands that there is a place and time in therapy for the prescription options, for the over-the-counter options, for the supplements, but also really believes in the power of lifestyle modifications and the power of nutrition and movement movement and how all of these things really help provide a comprehensive treatment regimen for someone and something that she always said that I fully abide by now, which is the way that I view medicine and my methodology really 
is around patient-centered shared decision-making. So to me, what that means is working with the patient as a team, being the healthcare professional that has the expertise. And so, for example, if someone comes to me and says, I am having an issue sleeping, it's like there are so many different options that we can look at to help you sleep. We can look at everything from CBD and other natural remedies to what you're eating throughout the day and how that influences your sleep to your movement, sleep hygiene, um, to your mindfulness, and really paint this just overarching picture of how you lead your life and your preferences and really your goals in your treatment and then figure out through all these potential options what the best choice is for you. I mean, statistically, looking at North America, most people are on one to seven prescription medications. So I'm not here trying to get everyone off their prescriptions. I'm trying to figure out what works best for each person. And some people do want to decrease that number, while other people just want to figure out what's a safe and efficacious way to integrate these other options and ensure that, you know, the benefit outweighs the risk which is another one of the pieces of my, you know, methodology and way that I view medicine is if we're going to add something, if we're going to take away something, how are we optimizing this ratio of increasing the benefit while decreasing the risk to each patient? And so that's always something that I frame every discussion around is like, what else are you currently doing? And what are you looking to get out of, you know, speaking with me and working with me? And, and, and what are you looking to achieve in all of this? It's, it's, I, I, you know, you, it's so important in most of America, people in America just don't follow those rules or, you know, what you're saying. It's not, it's not normal upbringing to have all those things integrated into your lifestyle, but it's, I, I really believe exactly what you're saying, how it affects us as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, leading into element apothic. I mean, so to me, when I was working with patients and I was trying to figure out, you know, oh, like I, I would recommend maybe six or seven supplements, maybe, you know, a, a way to decrease the dosage on some of their medications, how we can figure out how all of this works together. I was noticing that I was recommending, you know, a CBD product, maybe I was recommending other natural herbs. And I, I thought, is there a way that we can put them all together in one beautiful package so someone only has to take one or two things a day, and it's also more cost effective as well for the patient, because of course all of this is out of pocket. So. I wanted to figure out if there was a way to do that. And through the magic of networking, I happened to meet my two co-founders, so Davina and David. Um, and so we, um, at, at that point, you know, Davina and her great aunt had already started working on this idea for the company. Um, and they included David also from an early standpoint. So um, the background of the company actually goes back over a decade. Um, Davina's great aunt was diagnosed with quite a few autoimmune conditions. And so these immune conditions made it so, you know, she had hypersensitivities to medications. And so she wasn't really able to take a lot of the, the modern options out there. And so um, unfortunately, her doctor said, you know, like, we can't really help you anymore. Um, but but, you know, good luck. <laughs> and so yeah. um, she was she decided that like, that was not the answer she was going to be okay with. And so she went on a quest to figure out through herbs and through other healing modalities out there what could work for her. At a certain point, she was bedridden and, and really didn't want to be living that type of life. And so she found herbs and actually through Davina's family member through her sister, um, who was a grower at the time, she was like, why don't you consider cannabis? 
and including cannabis with these other herbs that you're also looking into. So she started experimenting. She turned her kitchen into a full-on laboratory and, and, and really was trying to figure out what would work for her through a process of experimentation and, and learning about these herbs. And uh, that's a lot of the form formulations that we work on now are these formulations that she initially worked on that really helped her be the best version of herself and feel incredible again, and how these natural remedies really helped her just be the person she is today. And a lot of people in her life started to take notice. So a lot of people, like whether it's her family members or friends were like, wow, you're all of a sudden doing so amazing. I mean, it wasn't all of a sudden, but it was, yeah. you know, over time, like, wow, you're able to not be bedridden anymore. You're able to do this, that, and the other, you know, could you make something for me? And so she started experimenting even past herself to like help other people and make these kind of customized formulations. So even beyond that, she started realizing that, oh, maybe there's an opportunity and a void in the market for me to start selling at farmer's markets and, and different things like that. And it came to the point where she realized, oh, wow, I do have something here, but I'm not a businesswoman. But Davina, who had experience in startups and was an engineer by trade, was, you know, maybe the right person that could partner with her. And so um, Davina kind of took on this, this, um, opportunity to be the CEO, to lead the company with strategy and, and with her background and brought in David, who has the creative mindset, as well as the, the background in operations. And then me with my clinical expertise. So we all very much draw on our strengths and work as a team to figure out how we can bring these formulations to as many people as possible. So that, you know, the, the root and the base of the company really is, is very much around Aunt Lola's initial formulations. And now we've kind of updated them with the modern research that's come out in the past year or so, clinical research. And I've brought on a team of medical advisors and we're continuing continually growing that team to find if you know how we can work with the best people in integrative dermatology and and OBGYN and women's health and gastroenterology and and pain management and everything in between how we can work with all of these incredible leaders in their field to work on the best in class formulations that are all of course proprietary because we don't white label we're very much particular on you know how can we do a really unique interesting combination of ingredients that does yes incorporate cbd and other minor cannabinoids but we look even beyond that because that's the way that i've always viewed health healing and wellness right and also working with special some people who are specialists in their field to Yes. Merge with what you're doing. That that's really that's that's amazing. Wow, that's that's gonna push us forward. Um, yeah, that's great. So um I would love to uh if you could just tell us um, you know, kind of in lay terms, how CBD and other cannabinoid products actually work in the in the a body, because you know, that's the question. Everybody can make these kind of claims, and but once you to me, once you really understand that science behind it it's pretty spectacular um as you as you may or may not know it's still not a part of the you know core curriculum of any healthcare professional program so i mean i'm a pharmacist but you know going to school with you know physicians and physician assistants and nurses and and everyone and it's still not a part of the core curriculum so even when we say ask your doctor it's like unfortunately your doctor might not know so if if as a patient you can take on this you know responsibility 
and sense of like empowerment and excitement to learn more about this, then you can be the one to bring this information to your practitioner. And I think that that's really exciting or one of the many exciting, you know, reasons why cannabis medicine is, is so great. So anyways, yes. Um, so every single person has an endocannabinoid system. So this is something that's really important, especially to the functionality of CBD and other cannabinoids. But it's also really important for that reason and, you know, rationale that I just made. It's like everyone has one, but unfortunately, it's just something we all don't talk about enough. It's not in the, you know, media enough. We're really not spreading the message in that capacity that that, that it should be. Some of that is because of the regulations that have been enforced for the cannabis industry and everything, you know, marking it in what's called the Schedule 1 classification via the DEA really means that, you know, the government has always seen that, oh, maybe cannabis doesn't have medicinal value, it has abuse potential, and so therefore maybe we shouldn't do research on it. And so a lot of this information has just come out in like from the 1960s onwards, so it's very new. Um, and I think that's also partially why we're still having these evolving discussions of that, of it, you know, seeming like it's something new, but in reality it is something that's been used in traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda for centuries. So everyone has an endocannabinoid system. And the goal of the endocannabinoid system really is to optimize this idea of homeostasis. Homeostasis is just a fancy scientific term for balance. And so because of the way the endocannabinoid system is structured, it has two types of receptors we know the most about that are called cannabinoid receptors, so CB1 and CB2. And those are found in almost every single organ system in the body, which is really incredible and really quite different from a lot of the other, you know, systems that we might know about, like, for example, like the system of our heart or our lungs is very much concentrated to one or two organ systems. And so the endocannabinoid system is very widespread. And, and for that reason, it has an indirect or direct influence on a lot of different other systems in the body, whether we're talking about organs or muscles or um, or neurotransmitters or, you know, transporters, a lot of different things. And so that's why if we if we look at it from almost a functional medicine or root cause type of way of looking at healing, health and wellness, you know, because the endocannabinoid system is so associated with so many other systems and functionalities, it would make sense to target that one. And then therefore it can have this kind of um, this kind of avalanche avalanche sounds extreme, but this kind of wave effect on so many other systems. And so because we want to target the CB1 and CB2 receptor, one way we can do that is incorporating cannabinoids into our daily life because they work on these receptors. But again, something that we don't talk about often enough, or at least I don't hear about often enough that I think is so important, is that not only do we have these cannabinoid type receptors or CB1, CB2 throughout the body, we also have what are called non-cannabinoid receptors in the body. And so these are receptors that are found, again, in a lot of different organs, but they're not necessarily cannabinoid receptors because they have other functions in the body. So like the 5-HT1A receptor, which, you know, is a serotonin receptor, that also is indirectly associated with the endocannabinoid system because research shows that cannabinoids actually can work on these type of receptors as well, which makes sense because they're so much involved in our gut function as well as our mood. And so like 
if we look at it from that standpoint, that also speaks to your question about, you know, how come the endocannabinoid system and cannabinoids in general work so well on the skin? A lot of it has to do with this receptor system called the TRPV1 system. And there are a lot of TRPV1 receptors in the skin. And so there's a lot of really great research supporting how minor cannabinoids as well as major cannabinoids can work with this receptor in the skin. And so when it works on this system, then it's able to enact the benefits. So, you know, CBD, THC, CBG, or cannabigerol, all of them really show really amazing penetration of the skin through this, as well as there's also really great initial research showing THCV and its impact on the skin as well. So it's, there's a lot of different ways to think about how, you know, cannabinoids can really influence our system. And so, yes, it is there topically. Also, there's a lot of different different ways to ingest cannabinoids, whether we're taking them sublingually or under the tongue, whether we're taking them orally. Of course, the issue with oral consumption is what's called the first pass metabolism. And so, you know, the first pass really just means it has to go through so many different organs to even get to the place where it can have its action. And so along the way, as you might expect, you know, a lot of the active components can be shed or, you know, like kind of taken away. And so you have to take a much higher dose to really Really get those benefits, which is why, you know, sublingual is a great option. That's why transdermal is a phenomenal option as well. Whether you want localized or systemic effects, I think that it really depends on what you're trying to heal and what you're trying to look at doing. Because if someone says, oh, I have a skin condition or I'm having pain in this particular area, I mean, pain is not only something that's localized to one area of the body. You know, our pain response really does have its root in systemic effect. Or if we're, if we're speaking about some sort of skin condition, you know, the skin condition is the physical manifestation of an issue that actually has a root cause. So to me, if you're looking to, you know, get some sort of benefit topically, we need to look at it from a topical perspective, topical meaning on the skin, but we also need to think about how our internal body system is influenced what we're seeing from a physical standpoint. So when someone says, you know, oh, I'm having pain, it's like, yes, let's put a patch on it. I love the idea of using transdermal patch for um, any for, for any sort of like localized issue that you might have. If you can point to it, then I say a patch is a great choice. But we also need to think about what is going on beneath the surface and maybe pair that with something that is sublingual so we can look at it from this two-prong approach or even multi-prong, honestly, if we're thinking about nutrition and movement and mindfulness in collaboration with, and other supplements, honestly, in collaboration with these CBD products. So it, it really is thinking about it from, from a very like, from a very like root cause, but then overarching standpoint, how we can use that together. The most I've heard people like tout CBD is uh, topical. My mother-in-law swears by it uh, for neuropathy. And I've heard that from a few people um, because, you know, I feel like uh, ingesting it is more like a nutraceutical. It's not something you see the effect right away. But a topical, I feel like I'm hearing people, uh, you know, have, have more obvious results. I, I think this is our foray into uh, winning over the elderly who obviously have big reasons to be cautious with medications they take and all that kind of stuff. So um, so now that um, seniors seem to be dipping into CBD, um, 
I would love to talk about how your products or what you see, uh, how it's helping that age group. Anyway, just would love to get your insights into the senior community and what their wants and needs are and uh, what kind of things you're dealing with there. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, and when we're starting to have these conversations, especially with these newer populations who might be a little more weary of cannabinoids, like what's something that's really worked for me is just really coming at it from the objective standpoint, like what research is out there? How does it objectively work in the body? Like talking about the endocannabinoid system that everyone has one and there's there's nothing to fear because you already have it. And so we might as well optimize it. Um, and then the other thing too is um, that's really helped bridge some of these discussions is, you know, not only can we incorporate cannabinoids or what they're called technically phytocannabinoids from a plant, we can also think about the fact that we actually produce our own cannabinoids. They're called endocannabinoids. And so the two most famous ones are anandamide and 2-AG or 2-arachidonylglycerol, super long name, but it's um, anandamide or AEA. Sometimes it's, it's um, discussed in 2-AG. And so that's another great way to say, you know, you don't need to fear cannabinoids, you know, coming from an external source or from a plant because we actually create our own to help this idea of optimization of homeostasis and balance. And so much of this discussion of balance and, and this, you know, this really goes along with your question is balance really has to do with inflammation and so much new research about current, like, you know, chronic disease state papers that are coming out current um, mood disorder papers that are coming out, or even if it's not a diagnosed mood disorder, just like mood imbalance, so much of it is coming back to this unwanted or excess inflammation in the body. And so, you know, for a mood, for a mood condition, you know, potentially it could be like neuroinflammation or inflammation of the brain. And that inflammation is really what the endocannabinoid system does such a phenomenal job at trying to balance out. And so I see often that CBD is referred to as an anti-inflammatory. I personally don't love that terminology because it makes inflammation seem like the bad guy. And honestly, we need a little bit of inflammation in our lives. Like we need what's called, like I like to call like a healthy response to inflammation or healthy inflammation. And so inflammation happens when we have some sort of like external source or pathogen or something that we don't want in the body. The body goes, oh my gosh, wait, like let's get it out. That's your inflammatory response to like something bad that shouldn't be there. And so it's really important to think about, you know, like if we are in a certain scenario, maybe like we're walking around in a city that has a lot of pollution, you know, it's really important at that moment that our body does have an inflammatory response. So let's not say all inflammation is bad, yeah. but what is bad though is excess or unwanted inflammation or what's called chronic inflammation. That's just ongoing persisting inflammation that can wreak havoc on a lot of systems. And so that's the issue oftentimes in the elderly or the senior population is that they have this unwanted or excess inflammation that is manifesting itself in a lot of different chronic disease states, whether we're talking about diabetes, cardiovascular disease, or we're talking about anxiety or depression, or we're talking about issues sleeping. I mean, so many of the 
the if you look at the research for cannabinoids particularly for cbd most of the research out there and i like to focus on research that's been done in humans versus animals um just because it's a lot more directly applicable to us you know especially us on the podcast and people listening um and so you know most of the research out there that is really really convincing and really incredible done in humans not all of it but a lot of it really is on sleep it's on mood, so anxiety and depression, and it's on um, pain. And so I think that these particular you know, categories of symptoms really do pertain to the senior community. So I think that, you know, looking at those three and how we can figure out how to help, how to help everyone have the best night's sleep of their life to optimize quality and quantity of sleep, because it's not just about sleeping through the night. It's how do we have a restful, rejuvenative experience at night? And then it's also how can we balance our mood, whether that's, you know, apprehension or anxious feelings throughout the day, whether it's trying to increase our focus. Um, there's a lot of different ways to structure a CBD protocol around that. And then of course, with pain, again, talking about what we were just discussing with, you know, if you're able to point to it, maybe using a transdermal patch or a cream or a bomb, but also thinking about what's going on under the surface. And let's also pair that with a sublingual tincture to get to the root cause. So, I mean, they're really like, when we're just looking at CBD, just looking at the vast majority of research that's out there, if we want kind of, you know, that, and I know that in general most people are looking for like let's take a product to see the immediate benefit if we're looking at immediate benefits like those are things that we can take in one to two nights we feel awesome after sleep you know we put on a transdermal patch 30 45 minutes later our that part of our arm feels awesome so there is definitely a way to get that immediate effect but i think we also need to think about kind of the long term gains and the long term benefits too and if we want to decrease this unwanted excess inflammation you could lead the healthiest lifestyle ever and it's just a part of our external environment it's you know internal stressors it's external stressors from our life from our job from the humans around us from so many things that you know we may or may not be able to control that including cannabinoids and these other types of integrative modalities all in combination it's not just one modality or the other if we can think about all of these different combinations and really like per patient think about what's the best for them as you as a listener what's the best for you that that's really what's going to work the best and what about you know i've been really fascinated with and i don't know i i mean Obviously, there's a lot of research we need to do on humans, like you're saying. Um, but what about endocannabinoid dysfunction? Is that is that something? Where where do we stand with that? As far as, I mean, can, can we balance it out with with um, cannabinoid products? And and do you? I, I mean, I know we're not there. We'll be able to target what is dysfunctioning, say like in menopause or something like that. We know where the imbalance is coming and just aging, maybe all these symptoms I think you're talking about in the elderly are due to aging, I believe. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I'd like to hear what you think about uh, endocannabinoid dysfunction and how it could yes, be definitely. Aware mm -hmm. to treat it. 
Yeah, so um, I, I've heard it called endocannabinoid dysfunction. I've heard it called endocannabinoid deficiency, um, like different terminology like that. But really, it means that your endocannabinoid system is just not functioning optimally. And I'm so happy you you asked because it's one of my favorite topics to be uh, to be honest. Because you know, it's not just the cannabinoids that we can take, you know, and ingest and you know, make a part of our routine, you know, those phytocannabinoids from a plant, it's really more than that. And it's something that, you know, is called cannabimimetics. And it's something that I, I love to talk about that I, I don't hear people talking about often enough, particularly not in the cannabis space, because there's so much of a focus in the cannabis space on just the cannabinoids that we can integrate into our life. Because yes, when we do take these cannabinoids, they work with and synergize with the endocannabinoids in our body. And that really does help um, mitigate this endocannabinoid deficiency. Um, and so, you know, instead of looking at it like that, or maybe not instead of rather, let's, let's backtrack, not instead, but in combination, you know, what is really, really helpful are what are called cannabimimetics. Cannabimimetics are substances or activities or experiences that really can help increase this idea of homeostasis or balance in the body and increase the functionality of the endocannabinoid system. And so what exactly does that mean, you know, and what type of examples are there? So my favorite example is, okay, maybe not my favorite. I have a lot of favorites, but <laughs> one of my favorite examples is exercise. So if you look at the exercise biochemical cascade at the end of the whole biochemical cascade, you know, from the beginning, when you start exercising to the end and that euphoric feeling you feel at the end, that runner's high, you know, it's called the endorphin hypothesis. It came out quite a few decades ago. And I, just everyone refers to it as endorphins and at the end of the day if you look at the cascade it's not incorrect like it is correct at the end of the cascade it is endorphins however if we look closer to the beginning of the biochemical cascade it's actually a release of anandamide or this or this endocannabinoid that has has been you know kind of used as an analogy with THC. So as we know, THC has a high affinity or a, a very high like interest or you know likability to binding to the CB1 receptor, which is you know the reason why it gives us the high and why CBD does not and therefore does not give us a high. And so endocannab this endocannabinoid called anandamide binds to the CB1 receptor after exercise. And so that's what, that's one of the reasons why, you know, in combination, yes, with endorphins, we feel this runner's high and we feel so incredible after working out and everything, so much of it has to do with this release of anandamide as well as this binding to the CB1 receptor. And so this is a way to optimize our endocannabinoid system without ingesting cannabinoids is that you know by exercising that's one way that we can increase the functionality of the system without taking anything and maybe if we're taking cbd for recovery but also exercising beforehand we're almost doing like the, a double prong like incredible combination synergistic experience of in the beginning working out having these endocannabinoids released taking a CBD patch for, you know, transdermal recovery and maybe, you know, for soreness for anything like that after, you know, we're really thinking about how we can continue to work on our endocannabinoid system, not just during exercise. And I love the exercise experience as well, because it does not have to be some intense HIIT workout. It could be 30 minutes of walking, right? So it's, you know, the increase of movement, like sweating a little bit, all of that 
just it's things that we already do oftentimes in our daily life that we don't even think about that can actually really add and increase you know the way that the endocannabinoid system works and therefore decrease this idea of endocannabinoid deficiency and so you know, there's examples like exercise. There's also amazing examples from like nutrition and like spices we can incorporate into our food that actually have, for example, one of my, you know, favorite food examples is from black pepper. Actually, black pepper has a high quantity of beta-caryophylline. Beta-caryophylline is a terpene that we know about that actually has a high affinity or a high, you know, interest or likability to binding to the CB2 receptor. And it's very interesting if I think back to my childhood, you know, one of the things when you're not feeling well in Ayurveda is you create this beautiful like lentil porridge almost where you have lentils with rice, which of course is so warming and feels great and tastes great. But my mom used to put so much black pepper in it. And, you know, it's something that she's been, you know, she's done and her mother has done and they've been doing for centuries. But I also now know the science and the connection to the endocannabinoid system of, oh, beta-caryophylline binds to CB2. CB2 is more closely associated with immune function. So she's looking to bolster my immune function in a way that I wasn't thinking of as a kid. And now I know, you know, one of the elements of black pepper and how it works. And then... Another one of the elements of black pepper is anthocyanins. They're bioflavonoids that are found at high quantities in, you know, in, in foods that have like that dark, rich, you know, black color or like in blueberries and blackberries. Yes. And those also have high antioxidant level. And these antioxidants also can influence the endocannabinoid system. So there's so many different components as well. It's not just, you know, only CBD. It's not just only exercise or only incorporating certain spices. There's so many things that we do that are really incredible. I also have seen really great research talking about, you know, the use of probiotics or the ingestion of omega-3 fatty acids. And it, there's actually research looking at omega-3 and how in the omega-3 biochemical cascade anandamide is a part of the cascade and like just even certain things like that where it's like wow we probably are ingesting something with omega-3 today whether it's you know fish or flaxseed or chia seed or anything in between and we're already doing all of these things that can really help our endocannabinoid system by leading a healthy life how do you how do you treat it or how do you know like dose wise like when they treat it uh, for epilepsy it has to be super high dose medical grade like how how do you how do we know do we know how how to balance it out through dosing or how do you do that yeah so I really genuinely think at this point we don't have enough research to say x dose for x ailment and because of the way the endocannabinoid system works and the way that it's metabolized in the body. Honestly, I always start with a low dose, but this low dose is highly dependent on the patient and the person. So it's not a set, everyone starts at 10 milligrams. It's very dependent on the patient. And I'll tell you why. So, you know, sometimes a patient will come to me and say, you know, I'm interested in CBD for sleep. I'm like, that's great. However, you know, what are the other medications you're taking? What are the other supplements you're taking? And depending on those, we might alter the dose you know, in 
based on some of the other things they're taking. It's also possible they come to me and say, I'm on warfarin or I'm on some of what I call red flag medications. And, you know, they come in, they say, oh, I want to take CBD, but I'm on warfarin. Then I say, okay, maybe that's not the right choice for you. Let's, you know, pivot away from CBD and think about some of the other natural remedies that in which there is not a drug interaction. So it's very patient dependent in that way. The other way that it's extremely patient dependent is, you know, it really depends on how much CBD you've ingested, you know, recently, how much you ingest on a regular basis, and if it's already a part of your routine. Because if, let's say, someone comes to me and they've been taking and trying a lot of different CBD products, they haven't found one that works, then, then you know, their body has this kind of like acclimation already to the ingestion of some cannabinoids that we might start a little bit higher. Or maybe they've been, you know, they're a recreational user and they've been smoking THC for the last 10 years, you know, then your body is still already acclimated to this inclusion of cannabinoids into your life, then I would start off on a higher dose for them. Whereas, you know, for the senior community in particular, a lot of people haven't tried cannabinoids, or maybe they were a recreational user in, in college and grad school, you know, decades ago. So for them, I would actually start off on a much lower dose. And so it really depends on the patient. And, you know, cannabinoid dosing, as far as we can tell, really doesn't have anything to do with like your age or your weight or your gender or any of that. It really comes down to like your familiarity with it and how much you're willing to, you know, experiment. And I always say start low, go slow. That's what everyone says. But I like to add at the end, stay low. Because there's such a misconception that, you know, with the way that prescriptions are now created, it's like, oh, the higher dose is the higher benefit. And that's just not the case in cannabinoids. There's actually something called the biphasic effect, where, you know, that's why at certain doses, CBD works really well for one thing, whereas at other doses, it works really well for something else. And it could actually have the opposite effect. And so... It's really thinking about, let's start low, let's figure this out together. And that's why I also think it's really important to have a healthcare professional in, in your corner and who's willing to work with you. And, you know, from a patient side, a patient side, I'm not word play intended, but, you know, from a, a consumer side, it's really trying to understand this and know that like maybe the first dose you try is not going to work for you maybe it's going to have the opposite effect because you're thinking about it as a prescription and you're taking triple the amount that you need and so I always try to figure out what's the lowest possible dose we can have that works for people and have them maintain that dose for a while there is a concept of you know tolerance over time and so it is possible over time you might need to increase a little bit but again having someone who you can turn to someone Someone who has this expertise that can help you is really integral to the whole experience because I've met a lot of people who try CBD one or two days and they're like oh it doesn't work for me and it's like but maybe you didn't try the right dose maybe you know you were using a product that actually doesn't have the right third-party testing and so you know if we do the testing on their product it's possible that it only has five milligrams of active and so it, there's a lot of components there and so it's not only working with the right healthcare professional but it's also ensuring that you're finding a brand that you can trust too Right. I, now that you were saying that it doesn't have to be high dose, I have heard another uh, cannabinoid doctor in the Northeast uh, say the exact same thing. I feel like what's going to win people over is these topicals because it just seems like they get immediate, re, you know, immediate uh, 
satisfaction or proof that it's working. You know, there's so many. Exactly. And it's a great gateway into trying other products as well. It's like, yeah. okay, you might be weary of ingesting, no problem at all. Let's start with a transdermal patch. Let's start with a cream or a lotion and let's, let's see how you feel after that. And then we can go from there. Mm -hmm. But also I've never heard the uh, method of, of, of ingesting and topical to treat a specific, which makes complete sense. Um, so that, that's pretty, that's really interesting as well. Um, so I, I was just thinking, um, just to, uh, to touch base on, uh, maybe a younger group, uh, women who are going through menopause. I, I know that I think you've been doing a lot of work or study with that. That's where I kind of became curious about the endocannabinoid dysfunction thinking, is that what causes menopause? And so I would love to hear what you have to say about menopause and CBD treatment and yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't think the reason that, you know, having endocannabinoid deficiency is the reason why we go through menopause. I think going through menopause is just a, a general like phase of life and there's nothing wrong with it. Nothing. To right. It isn't that natural. Yeah. Right. Of course. Yeah. yeah. It's just natural. It's just, it's just the, the course of life just as, you know, we go through puberty kind of the next you know, in, into the next stage of our life is menopause or perimenopause and menopause in collaboration. So, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's not nothing wrong with your endocannabinoid system, but I do think that because of the way endocannabinoids as well as cannabinoids we ingest work, you know, they, there is a relationship with hormone levels. And so, you know, as we go through these different transitions in life, it's definitely important to have our hormones supported. And there's a lot of different ways we can do that. I think CBD does play a role in that, in optimizing certain hormones, especially as estrogen declines. I think incorporating CBD can be really incredible for symptom management. We don't have any concrete research as far as I know. And if, if any of your listeners do know, please send them my way. But I don't know of any human research at this point that is looking at, you know, increasing CBD dose and therefore that having a direct correlation or or effect on increasing estrogen level. I personally haven't seen anything like that. However, I think that as we undergo these different changes and all these symptoms that come from it, there's a way to deal with a lot of these symptoms in natural ways. Um, I also am not against hormone replacement therapy or anything. I think it's highly patient dependent and what they want to do. And I think that if a patient decides to go that route, there's a lot of other things we can do in conjunction. I mean, there's a reason why in, in the beginning, you know, when, when people were, start, were starting to think about integrative health, it used to be called complementary and alternative medicine, because it's like, how do we use it in complement or in addition to, or how do we use it potentially as an alternative? So if there really is it's very, you know, dependent on what the patient wants to do and what's going to work best for them. There are some people who are like, I only want to go the natural way. And therefore, like, let's look at CBD for these certain symptoms. Let's look at other minor cannabinoids and let's, you know, figure it out together. No, have you heard any um, uh, people who are using it uh, in nursing homes? I, I saw somewhere maybe a couple of years ago in California, it was a big thing, uh, cannabinoid treatment in nursing homes. Uh, is that you know because that age group so now there's one thing to be seniors or menopause yes. group but that elderly group you know 85 and above or whatever nursing home group um you know they have a lot of medications and you know serious symptoms a lot you know how how, how do, what are you seeing in that that world i see that as a growing possibility and honestly like a real 
a real chance to make a difference in people's lives. I have seen that some nursing homes have involved protocol that does incorporate cannabinoids, but they're very few and far between. And I think that there's so much potential there um, because depending on how you incorporate cannabinoids, like if you have like, ideally I would think it'd be a pharmacist who understands prescriptions, but also understands cannabis that can come in and evaluate it on a patient by patient basis. Cause I don't think there should be a set protocol for every single person in the nursing home to get CBD when they go to bed, because I, I think that will honestly do more risk than benefit if we're putting it for every single person. Cause it is possible. Some patients are on medications that should not be taken with cannabinoids. But I think if there is a pharmacist or some sort of healthcare professional there who can kind of bridge both sides, understand the prescriptions, understand the patients and understand cannabinoids, then I think that that could be an incredible possibility for a lot of patients there. I just, I don't think it should be like a blanket protocol yeah. for everyone. Right. So have you seen uh, doctors of that age group, uh, are they receptive to, to CB? Do they think it's a threat meaning to the patient or I know there are, I know physicians are really just learning. So it's a long road there, but I'm just curious what you've come across in that age group, uh, their physicians and yeah, so what I've really seen is that more and more practitioners of all types, so physicians, PAs, NPs, people are more and more open and interested, partially because consumers keep asking about them. Their patients keep saying, oh, you know, what about this? Oh, you know, so-and-so, yes. you know, brought up this study and, you know, like to, to demonstrate that there is actually objective evidence behind it, I think is really important. So I think that there is an overall shift in more and more people being interested. That being said, I do think that it's still very new to a lot of practitioners. And I think in their mind, if they didn't learn it in school, like how come they didn't learn it in school? And, you know, how come it's not a part of the, the core curriculum and how come they, they don't already know about it? And, you know, if you think about it from their perspective and something that's helped me, especially talk to them and start these conversations is, you know, to them, they're all about just like me thinking about the benefit to risk ratio. And if they don't know about it, all they see is potential risk and they don't know the benefits. So to them, they're just thinking about the patient. They're like, all right, I'm thinking about benefit and risk. Yeah. I only see risk. Don't take it. And I feel like most healthcare professionals at this point just say don't take it because they don't understand the benefits. So I, I don't think it's a fault of them. I think it's a fault of the system and a fault yeah. of, you know, something that I'm trying to actively change. And so, right. you know, I think with more education out there from a consumer standpoint and a provider standpoint, like a lot of that will evolve, but it still unfortunately is a pretty new discussion for most people. Right. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Swathi. This was so informative. I really can't believe you were talking this much. I really it was very interesting. Really, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, 
Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at DopeHistory.com.